Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. So, good morning and happy anniversary to our church. And I'm so glad to be here with you. Before I proceed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the wisdom, the, the encouragement, the inspiration that you have given all of us to be here. We thank you that we have now a more concrete vision of where our church is going, especially now that we've committed to this space for a full year. We thank you for the people who are here and even those who are tuning online and even those who are wanting to go but are considering just some other things before they finally join us. Lord, wherever we are, being together is really made possible because of you. So now we pray that we, we enjoy this time and we pray that your spirit will move in and through us as we go through your word. And we pray that it will really pierce through our minds, our hearts, and lead us into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So all month we've been going through a series on Jeremiah. We really wanted this series to capture the prophetic voice that somehow has been lost, not really in, on purpose, but it's also been drowned by so many other voices around us. Social media voices, news anchors, and even Korean novellas. And so we went through this series to capture themes in the book of Jeremiah, and we culminate today and take on a very, very famous, if not the most famous chapter in Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah 29. And I want to, to share with you that Jeremiah 29, in order for you to appreciate it, is found within a specific context, and that context is the exile. So for us to understand the good words from Jeremiah 29, we must first understand what the exile is. So I will start by sharing with you the conditions or the underlying descriptions of what exile means, and then we'll look at how we can build a solid future together, even in exile, and I will end with the gospel for how we can build it together. Okay, so now let's start with the descriptions of the exile. What does it mean for people to be in exile? Exile is an old word. It's not like we're really being moved out or forced out of our environment or our country, although some people really experience physical exile. But what does being exiled mean? I will share with you at least three things we learn here of maybe how we can put ourselves in the shoes of being in exile. And the first is, being in exile means a condition of being away from one's comfort zone, okay? In this particular time, the Israelites were conquered by the Babylonians and have now been forced out from their homes in Jerusalem and have gone in exile and moved to Babylon. So this was a physical migration, but you can also see it as being uprooted and being taken away from one's comfort zone. I know we're more than one year into the pandemic, but have you ever thought about what is your comfort zone? Maybe your comfort zone has already moved because of this pandemic, or maybe you haven't really thought about it. But I'm telling you, this pandemic has shaken all our comfort zones. And even for that, it's so easy to connect with this passage. Now, the second thing of the description of the exile here is a condition where one is left isolated and alone. In Jeremiah 29 verse 2, we find that the king and queen mother have departed. So there's no sense of authority. There's no sense of your, your trusted governance. And when something you trust, when a pillar you trust is suddenly taken away, you are left isolated. And the last is a condition where one can be easily confused. And to, so to add insult to injury, there were those soothsayers, you know, wannabe prophets who were offering false hopes to people 
by claiming that they find dreams. And oftentimes, especially in the Christian realm, it's so prevalent to hear people encouraging others, encouraging us, offering prospects of prosperity when we really need to face reality. Now, sometimes we think that being Christian means offering immediate relief, immediate encouragement, immediate um, answers to the problems of the world, to the problems of your friends, to the problems of your family. But in this particular case, we learned that that's not good. It does not apply. And here we find that we need to face the reality. Because if not, we find in the book of Jeremiah so many warnings about offering false hope. Look at Jeremiah 14 verse 14. God says, These preachers are liars. They use my name to cover their lies. I never sent them. I never commanded them. And I don't talk with them. The sermons they've been handing out are sheer illusion, tissues of lies, whistlings in the dark. So if you see this passage, it, it makes you want to consider that just because someone is preaching, just because so- someone is you know, using the pulpit and they're saying something you think is really nice, it doesn't mean that it's automatically God's word. It doesn't mean that they're automatically sent to tell you what you want to hear. Look at other verses in Jeremiah 27, verses 12 to 15. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Harness yourself up to the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people. Live a long life. Why choose to get killed or starve to death or get sick and die? Which is what God has threatened to any nation that won't throw its lot in with Babylon. Don't listen to the prophets who are telling you not to submit to the king of Babylon. They're telling you lies, preaching lies. God's word on this is, I didn't send those prophets, but they keep preaching lies, claiming I sent them. If you listen to them, I'll end up driving you out of here and that that will be the end of you, both you and the lying prophets. So here we find that in exile, so many prophets are saying one thing, things that people want to hear, But God is teaching through the prophet Jeremiah that it's all lies. And another passage, Jeremiah 28, 15 to 16, the prophet Jeremiah told prophet Hananiah, the two prophets, hold it, Hananiah, God never sent you. You've talked the whole country, the whole country, into believing a pack of lies. And so God says, you claim to be sent, I'll send you all right, right off the face of the earth. Before the year is out, you'll be dead because you fomented sedition against God. Wow. These are very strong words. And if you look at it, Jeremiah talks to Hananiah. And Hananiah is not a chief prophet. We find here that Jeremiah is telling Hananiah that you've actually influenced the country. You've spoken lies that the country has believed. That was how massive this wrongful influence was. How many of the things you think our nation believes today? How many of the things that our most popular influencers say today? How many projections that our favorite business experts say today are not really from God. And we don't even have to go far. How many preachers, how many messages come out of our churches, our online worship services, that people reshare, people like, people find inspiration in? How many of these are really not from God? If there is any doubt if there is any confusion, any abundance of different voices, this is the condition of God's people during the exile. And this is not only ancient. We find it in the New Testament. Apostle Paul warns us of the same in Ephesians 5, 
6-7, to seven, don't let yourselves get taken in by religious smooth talk. God gets furious with people who are full of religious sales talk but want nothing to do with Him. Don't even hang around people like that. Imagine that. How many people gravitate towards popular messages in the church when it is mere religious sales talk. And I think this passage shares, shows us that the rule of thumb is if what the message is giving you is not leading you to Christ, an appreciation of Him, a deep attraction towards Him, then it may talk about Christ, it may say and use words like Christianity, and even use words like Christ-centered, but if it is more about strategy, if it is more about um, results, if it is more about prosperity, and if it is more about making you feel good about yourself, then more likely you have arrived at religious sales talk. And that is why this passage in Jeremiah is so important. People want to skip to the promise in Jeremiah 29, but they don't understand what's going on. Now, if you understand what's going on, then you will not quote Jeremiah 29 so easily when it talks about prosperity, when it talks about uh, the promises of God. Because in that exilic condition, the prophet Jeremiah, who was an unpopular voice compared to the more popular voice, Hananiah, was fighting just inches by inches towards helping people see that among these popular voices, God's voice is not heard. Now, what part of this exilic conditions can you relate with? Being out of the comfort zone, being isolated, feeling alone, or being confused, not knowing who to listen to. That sets the stage for the platform for when God uses Jeremiah to tell the people what to do in this specific time. Because it's hard. When you're in this exilic time, it's so hard. Imagine you're out of your comfort zone, you're feeling alone, and there's so many voices. The easiest thing to do would be shut yourself in, forget about things, get depressed, or get overly proactive, or, you know, cope, or just give up. But during these times, we have this book to guide us into what the prophet Jeremiah taught the people and what to do when you are in exile. And I hope we can learn from this. There are three things. Number one, he tells us to build up ourselves. Look at verse 5. It says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. When we're in exile, it's very easy to lose our heads forget about our responsibilities, and blame the bad circumstances that have befallen our lives. And a lot of us have used this pandemic as reason to be more irresponsible, to be more forgetful, to not report to do the things we're required to do by the things we're committed to do, like our work, like our relationships, and like our Christian service. Now, so, some of us, we've seen this even before the pandemic. We have these tendencies when we go through a breakup. Sometimes we just want to forget about things because suddenly our world collapses. When we go through failure at a project deadline or in a business with negative returns, sometimes we just want to forget and stop trying. And when you're a Christian, sometimes when you get offended or when you get disappointed, when you get frustrated, we forget to pray, we forget to come to church, and we forget to renew ourselves in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, Jesus never said bad things won't happen to you if you believe in me. In fact, the opposite is true. He says in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have problems. In this world you will have challenges. But take courage, I have overcome the world. See that? Jesus never said, believe in me and everything will be easy. Je Jesus never said, believe in me and favor will make you 
have prosperity. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials, you will have hardship, you will have suffering, but I have overcome the world. You see, we skip verses like this. We immediately jump into the good things, like Jesus overcoming the world. And we don't realize there's the prior clause. When we find ourselves in exile, don't forget to build yourself up. Don't forget to dig yourself deeper into how you can live the way life is meant to live. Don't make excuses. Don't forget to eat. Don't let your feelings overcome who you are. Build yourself up. The Israelites were moved from Israel to Babylon. And in those days, God was always connected to the land, to the land that they come from. So you can imagine the psychological effect that people thought being in Babylon, God is no longer there. And that's why we we want to go back. That's why the, the promises by most prophets outside Jeremiah were, let's go back, we will come back, we will come back to Israel. But God, through Jeremiah, said, don't focus on coming back. Focus on what you can do now in Babylon, where you are. Build yourself up. Build homes where you are. Plant gardens where you are. Where are we right now? Where are you in your situation? We're all facing this pandemic together, but where has God placed you right now? We need to look at that and build ourselves in that situation. Like our church is where it is right now. And we can't stop trying to build ourselves up. That's why I think, you know, with, without even hearing the sermon yet, the, our church council's decision to commit to this space for a year is actually fulfilling this passage in Jeremiah because we have decided to build ourselves here, to commit, to invest, and to be where we are. And it's not easy. We're thinking about costs. We're thinking, thinking about practical things. We're thinking about, is it sustainable? But you see, the beautiful thing about this passage is God just told the people to build themselves. And sometimes that's, we, that's what we need to do. We just have to step forward and build not have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Not have to worry about, you know, the results. Not have to worry about whether this will lead to success or not. Because when God says build, you just have to build. And the second thing we find here is that we need to build up our community. There's progression. After building yourself up, building your home, taking care of your business, in verse 6, It says there, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands. They may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. The key thing here is not about, you know, just multiplying and getting married and bearing children because not every one of us are in that situation. But the key word here is multiply, to multiply, to multiply not only for yourself, but to multiply for the community. In Jeremiah 16, verse 2, way earlier, God actually advised that there will be no building of community. During that time, they were not allowed to take a wife for yourself, nor have sons or daughters in this place. And what we learn here is there is something special about God's timing that allows for rebuilding when trouble comes. You see, during these times, we could be easily more sensitive, more helpless, more willing to rely on anyone on things that maybe we are not meant to rely on. In desperate moments, we find strength. In desperate times, you know, we make desperate moves. And the good news is that in terms of timing, God knows that. So there's a time that he told the Israelites, you know, don't move yet. But there's a time 13 chapters later where God says, now's the time. So the pandemic hit us. We closed our church worship service last year in March. 15. And that's why when we initially started our trial here, we wanted to do it before the end of that first year where we, did, we didn't meet together. Because it was going to be a statement that says, you know, we did not allow ourselves to be defeated by the pandemic. 
And then another challenge happened. You see that? Another challenge happened. In April, well, actually, before April even happened, ECQ happened. And that was frustrating, to be honest. We had good momentum. People were excited. People were talking about, you know, how it's, it's a great idea to come back to church. And now you have another ECQ where it's like, oh, did we make a mistake? Well, I think, you know, when you make decisions and things, the first thing that challenge you in that decision comes, you know, don't give up because you, you want to zoom out of the situation and consider this. We were not meeting for a year physically. We subscribe to the government rules and to the unknowns and back, stepped away and committed to online worship services for a year. We weren't ready to meet physically. Some of us lost jobs. Some of us lost loved ones. Some of us you know, had the hard time you know, getting salary cuts. And so that may have been our Jeremiah 16 moment where it wasn't time for us to gather and multiply. But today, this might be our Jeremiah 29 moment where it's time to come together to build ourselves up and build our community. And what does this mean? When I say build our community, it means you start doing things that you're supposed to do, but you're not only doing it for yourself, you're doing it for everybody. If you're a student, it might mean multiplying your study time, your focus on your study so that it will be less stressful for your parents, be less stressful for you, and it will just help you become better. If you're a professional, it might mean multiplying hours of productivity so that it will be better for your company. You know, businesses are losing. Imagine if the employees are also having a defeatist attitude where they just want to clock in, clock out, and not worry about productivity. I'm telling you, when God told the people here to build your homes and invest in, 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 in being involved with the affairs of Babylon, that, that means they, were had, they had to be professionally better. So if you're a professional right now or you're a business person, take this challenge in this pandemic to multiply your productivity, not only for yourself, but for the economy as a whole, for your company as a whole, because what you do is already beyond your paycheck. Let's stop thinking that it's beyond my pay grade because salary is not everything. Your salary does not define you. If you say it's, you know, it's beyond your pay grade, you've already let a number. You've let a number define who you are. How sad is that? How sad is it that your value depends on the amount you get every 15th and 30th of the month. That's not the way to live, guys. You must consider that you are meant and valued beyond these numbers. And to prove that, you have to multiply your productivity, even if you think you're not paid for it. You know, one of the practical attitudes I challenge myself is to always think not to be paid the right amount, but to always think that I want to, to give my all so that, you know, my worth is priceless. The numbers don't define me. You see, when you're on that space where the numbers don't define you, the amount never bothers you. If you see the amount going up, it doesn't get into your head. If you see the numbers get going down, it doesn't affect you because the numbers don't define you. The numbers will go up, go down. It doesn't matter because you know your value. And that's why if you're a professional, if you're a business person, you just have to multiply your productivity. You know, how can you innovate? How can you do the things you do and do more with less time? How can you leverage on your experience to be better in your craft so that you don't get replaced or you don't get uh, you know, redundated or you don't get threatened easily by all these other things. You see, who do you think, who do you think you know, will be more vulnerable to circumstantial trials or crisis in the world? Obviously, those defined or those who allow themselves to be defined 
multiply the numbers. If you're a family person, then this might mean multiplying quality time with your family, you know? And quality time doesn't always mean only binge watching on TV or locking yourselves up together. It's just, just putting in that effort to make things better. That's why, you know, yesterday, in, in yesterday's activity where Fritz mentioned, you know, one of the things he's learned through, this, through the year was that there's love in cooking, how he prepares food for his family. What, what can you do to make it better, to make your presence more felt in your family at this time? And for the church, for the church, it might mean multiplying your presence and making yourself more felt into the community. Multiplying your worship, multiplying your fellowship, multiplying discipleship, doesn't matter what you call it, but just investing yourself into the life of the community. Because this church will not be a church for you if you simply just take and take and take. But this church will be your home if you also come and give. And I'm telling you, this church will grow. Not because we're good in giving, so that people can take, but because we're a church that welcomes people's contributions in various aspects of our ministry. And for our country, it might mean multiplying good governance, supporting uh, things that you know, we need to support. You know? And maybe it also means being less critical unnecessarily. You know, we have to be careful about what we, you know, what we spread and consider how it affects other people. It may be true, it may be exactly how you feel, but is it wise to communicate it? You have to think about these things. And whatever it is, we need to find ways to build up our immediate community and multiply and not decrease. And that's why we're also committing to this to the full year, because we don't want people to just become more apathetic to church. It's so easy getting you, to be honest, it's easier for us to set up at home and just do the online service. It's easier. But we, we don't want to keep doing something that is already, you know, more disadvantageous for everybody. We want to set an example where, you know, we are also multiplying. We are also innovating. We, we are not just going with the status quo. I know a lot of churches who's decided to just not even try. Sometimes people use the IATF guidelines or say, you know, we're subscribing to the government rules as an excuse. You know, we're, what we're trying to do is balance it. You know, what are the IATF guidelines? What can we do to move forward? Maybe a little bit towards this direction and face the tension, be responsible with our choices, choose a venue that's very clean and accessible and, 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 really commit to encouraging people to come because the risk of you getting the virus here probably less than if you were just out doing your other things. And so if you are at home and you're just stuck at home and you commit to just stay at home and you don't go out, I would understand. And, but I would still encourage you to come. But if you're going out and dining out and jogging and exercising outside and wanting to go to the park, wanting to go to the beach, wanting to go to, you know, to staycation and you don't go to church, wow, I'm going to scold you <laughs> because that's being unfair. That's being inconsistent because if you, you know, want to go to SNR, you want to do grocery, you want to go to your favorite restaurant, and you risk yourself going there, but you don't want to risk yourself coming here to church where I'm telling you it's already less risk because everyone here is wearing a mask except me when I speak or someone here when they sing, then there's a problem. One example of someone who built up his community in the direst of circumstances is another character in a different Bible book, Nehemiah. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Nehemiah, though he's famous because he's in the Bible, he was neither a prophet, he was neither a priest, he was not even a nobleman. 
He was one of the common people pursuing his earthly calling as what? A cupbearer to the king. Okay? He's not a superstar. He's not the main guy. He was just simply a servant to a foreign king. A cupbearer to Artaxerxes I of Persia. So if you watch 300, you can imagine Persians. And who eventually became one of the most inspiring and authoritative leaders ever mentioned in, in the Bible. Why? Because when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, Nehemiah's heart was so broken and he prayed to God that Artaxerxes would give him permission to leave the palace and return to Jerusalem to restore the walls which were destroyed by the Babylonians. Nehemiah loved his community. He cared for them and was concerned for their safety and well-being. And the story of Nehemiah was how he successfully rebuilt the city. We're not going to go in-depth into that, but I just want you to think about that. Nehemiah, a cupbearer, a servant in the palace. He wasn't royalty. He wasn't influential. He was just an ordinary commoner. But when he saw that the walls of his city were destroyed, he really got affected. Are you affected that our church has stopped meeting for this more than a year? Are you affected that our community as a whole may be threatened by this pandemic? Are you affected by the families being affected by this pandemic? Is your heart affected or has it grown cold? Because building up our community means being sensitive to the needs and what is going on in the community. And not only that, praying for it and making effort to rebuild it. And that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to rebuild. We're trying to get it back. We're trying to start over. We're trying to live with this pandemic because it's not going to go away. Think about it. If your reason is maybe, oh, let's wait for vaccination. Okay, let's wait for vaccination. But what do you think will happen after vaccination? You think the virus will go away? No, next year we'll probably have to be vaccinated again. Six months from now, we might have to be vaccinated again. So we just have to learn with, to live with this virus. And so part of that means learning to live as a church with this virus. It's not going to go away. So let's just move forward. And the last thing we find here is that we need to build up our situation. In times of exile, we've talked about building ourselves up, building our community, But here, the tallest climb is found in verse 7. You see, the first two builds are personal and relative. The third is actually interpersonal, and it brings us to confront the situation we are in. Look at verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. Okay? So God is saying... No, the Babylonians destroyed your city and have moved you into their land, but I want you to be a blessing to them. Wow. What kind of message is that? Right? That is the worst message people could possibly hear at that time. Their families may have been killed by the Babylonians. Their property might have been seized by the Babylonians. Everything they've worked so hard for might have been stolen by the Babylonians. They don't trust the Babylonians. They hate the Babylonians. And now God is telling them, you know what? I want you to bless the Babylonians. How many churches tell people today, are you tired of corrupt government officials? Don't even think about leaving the Philippines. Be a blessing to the Philippines. Are you tired of you know, the state of your company? Don't immediately think about leaving the company. Think about how you can be a blessing to the company. Are you tired of people hurting you or offending you or, or taking advantage of you? Don't think about, you know, don't immediately ask for these people to go away or be taken away from your life. 
Think about how you can be a blessing to them. Oh my goodness, if churches start telling this, I'm telling you, there will be less numbers in church next Sunday. <laughs> we will lose the numbers. We will lose the numbers. But we would have preached the gospel. Because you know what I'm scared of? I'm scared of the fact that our churches today, just here in the Philippines, maybe they're saying it's growing. But what if it's just overinflated for the wrong reasons? I'm telling you, it's so unpopular, the things that Jeremiah has taught. But these are the things that actually helped the people to move forward. Now, the challenge for us, and this is why it's special to see this from our anniversary's perspective, is that we need to start considering how we can build a solid future together, right? Now think about it. You know, now a lot of us were halfway, maybe. Maybe less than halfway to thinking about church. There's so many things to think about. Think about your family. Think about your kids. Think about your business. Think about your company. But, but let's, start, let's think about our kids, okay? Obviously, kids aren't allowed here yet. I'm praying for the day they will. But even when they're not allowed, I want you to think about this. What do you want to teach your kids? What do you want to teach your kids? The easy answer would be this. I want to teach them about God. I want them to, teach, to, to learn about you know, faithfulness. I want to, them to learn about community, about the church, about you know, serving God. Okay, you want to teach them these things. So how are you modeling this in the pandemic right now? Are you using them as a reason not to be at church? What do you think that's telling them even without words? You know what you're telling them? You're telling them, yes, it's easy to do lip service that we believe in God and worship Him. But some of our needs come first. Some of our practical considerations come first. Some of the things we're, we're worried about come first. So what about passages in Scripture that talk about dropping everything to follow God? What about passages in Scripture that says, you know, God is the most important thing? I'm telling you guys, if you really want to teach your kids that God is the most amazing thing in your life, and He is the most important pursuit of our existence, then you should be the first one to be at church. Even if that means your children is left at home and you have to alternate as parents, even when you don't explain it to them and they see, wow, my father went to church. My mother went to church. I'm not there because the government allows, doesn't allow it, but one day I will. But look at that. My dad is going to church, leaving us behind. What do you think that is? Of course, initially, the conversation, especially if your children are, are teens or much older, the conversation might be a little bit like this. What? Dad, you're risking us. You're risking going out you're to bring the virus home. That's a fair discussion, right? But you know what? One day, one day. It doesn't even have to be now. You don't have to win the conversation now. But one day when they look back and think, and they realize, wow, there was risk. There was risk. But God is not calling us to live life without risk. He's just guiding us to show what really matters, even when there's risk. I'm telling you, if you're concerned about your children, if you're concerned about uh, modeling for them, what the gospel is, then that also means showing them, taking courage, and really building on the foundations for the optics. You see, I'm not telling you to go out and do other things. I'm just telling you a simple thing that you might want to consider just coming to church and showing your family that this is important. It's one thing to say it. It's easy to say it. Easy to say it. So easy. It's another thing to show it. And I'm telling you, if you want to lay down the foundations for your children, this is a great opportunity to do it. You won't have this window again. I'm telling you, when all this is clear, if you're waiting for everything to be clear, you've lost the opportunity to show your children that God is more important, that God is really more important, even beyond you know, our fears, even beyond what we think our practical concerns. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you include God in the picture, it really changes things. 
Because if you put God in the picture, then you, you will understand, you will understand this. All risk is under God's hands. All risk is under God's hands. If He wants you to have a, the virus, you will get it, even when you're stuck at home, right? How many people have contracted the virus and they haven't even left the house? Think about it. If you're meant to have the virus, if your immune system is really, you know, predetermined to get the virus, you will get it. It doesn't matter if you lock yourself up in the home. It doesn't matter. People get the virus, whether they go in and out. People have not gotten the virus, even if they go out. So you see the risk? Who do you think controls the risk? Now, if you don't believe in God, then it's going to be hard to make this discussion. But if you believe in God, then it's easier to make yourself realize all risk is under God's hands. Now, if it's under God's hands, who do you think you want to trust? Who do you think you want to snuggle up to and learn his heartbeat? It's God. So I'm telling you, now is the best time. And I'm so happy our church council decided on this because it means our church council is believing that this is God's plan for our church. Now, we need you to also go with us, to also believe in this, to also help us build this solid future together. We might not have this moment ever again, but I'm telling you, just like before, you know when Heroes was starting? I'll tell you, when the idea of Heroes Church first happened in 2008, everyone thought it was crazy. That was the time when churches here weren't thinking about church planting. It was all about building the bigger church. It's all about getting the biggest spaces. It was all about getting the most number of people. It was also about creating the brand. That was the focus. Today, it's changed. Today, there's more people talking about church planting. Praise God. There's more people talking about, you know, like mission, talking about, you know, going out, to do ministry, evangelize. You know, it's coming back. But at that time, that wasn't the trend. So you know what? Planting a church in a city where one of the mega churches exists, that was crazy. Everyone thought, you must be either really cuckoo or stupid. <laughs> but you know what? I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know we will get to where we are. All I know at that time was God told me, do this. That's all. And you know what? I've come to realize during that time, and I didn't know it, but two, three, four years down the road, I started getting re receiving messages from other people, from other churches, from other pastors of small churches, small churches that died because, not because they planted beside a mega church, but because a mega church opened beside them. Okay, you see that? I started receiving messages from, from ministries that shut down because the mega church opened in their city. And it was so encouraging because the message that I was receiving was, you know what? We're watching you. We're watching you because, because you might be small, but if you don't fold, then you are proving to the rest of us that we don't have to shut our doors just because a mega church opened its doors beside us. Because we were doing the opposite trend. We were planting a church beside a mega church. That's crazy. Most churches are closing when the mega church opens beside them. We were planting a church, you know, during that time. And you know what? Somehow that made an impact to so many ministries. I, I don't even know. I'm not even taking credit for it. I don't even record it because it's not my thing to do. But it's when we did things that, you know, seemed not right at that time, it made an impact. And you know what? That's exactly where we are again. And I'm telling you now this because we've experienced that happen. I'm telling you, we're again having the opportunity to make an impact not only with our community, but to send a statement to other churches here that it's just time to come back to this. It's just time to honor God with our lives. And that means, you know, being responsible in coming back and setting up your worship service space. And it's time to cut the apathy, the lethargic mode that maybe online worship service has affected us or naturally made us. Now, to end this, I want to end with the gospel to make this happen. 
Building ourselves up, building the community, and building the situation are very hard. But the good news is the gospel teaches us that we have the source, the engine to make it possible, and that is Christ. Christ was able to do all three, including what for me is the hardest. You see, Jesus, like us, has found himself in a time of exile. Being on earth was an exile for Jesus. It was away from his comfort zone. He's, you know, God's son. He's the, the, the prince of heaven, the prince of the universe. You know, he didn't have to, you know, suffer in his position. He comes to earth out of his comfort zone, alone, you know, by himself, physically here, and he was about to do something, you know, that he didn't want to do. You know, we find that in the Gospels. In Matthew 26, 36 to 39, Jesus came to them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And what do you think the disciples did? Do you think they kept watch with Jesus? No, they didn't. They fell asleep. Jesus, in his time of exile, particularly in this specific moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, was alone. And in that moment, he could have said, not worth it. Look at these guys sleeping. These are the people I'm going to die for. These are the people I'm going to I'm going to suffer for. My the people who I've been so loyal to, I've brought with me. I've you know taken them. I've provided for them. I've done miracles in front of them. My top 3 guys, look at them. They're sleeping. What do you think will happen if that were you? That were you and the, your family, your company, you know, the people you, you, you have contributed so much to, you just want them to be with you at this moment and suddenly they're not there. That's going to be like a give up moment. But this give up moment did not happen because Jesus fell on his face and he prayed and he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. But, but, see the big but? Not my will, but as you will. Jesus in exile shows us that he understands our situation. He understands you. He understands the pain. He understands the loneliness. He understands the suffering. He understands the risk control. He understands the disappointment. And he understands the reality that many of us, especially us Christians, think and feel every day. That maybe it's just not worth it. Why am I doing this when it's only me? Why am I doing this when the other people aren't doing it? Why, are, why am I doing this when, you know, I'm the only one pushing? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. But the answer to that is not about you. The answer to that is not about the people around you. The answer to that is about what Jesus has done for you. Because Jesus did not quit on you. Jesus did not choose comfort over you. Jesus did not, you know, choose even worldly success or practical concerns over you. He didn't even choose his earthly family over you. He chose to do God's will over everything else. What is God's will for you? If you don't know, then that's why the church is here. We got to discover it together. But we won't discover it together if you're not connected with us, if you're not with us, if you're not journeying with us. And that's why on our anniversary, that's what my challenge is to you. And I will read for you now, I will read for you now, Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. And now after telling you the context of all this, my prayer is that you will now understand the meaning behind these words. Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. This is God's word, and may it happen to all his servants. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the prophetic voice of Jeremiah. And even in his, this ancient story and narrative, we can learn a lot about how we can face life today. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for how you have used us. And you have not left us. You have not failed us. And you are consistently, consistently guiding us along our journey. Lord, thank you for showing us clearly that you have called us to be active even in this exilic time. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us that you are first into experiencing what exile means and overcoming it. And Lord, because you have overcome, we have the confidence that we can overcome by your grace. So we ask that you help us as a church to learn what it means to build, to build ourselves in this exile, to build our community even when it's hard, and to build the situation and make it better, and to contribute to make that happen, because that's what you did for us. May we not look at each other, may we not look at ourselves, but Lord, may we learn to always look at you, because when we see you overcoming your exile for us, then we can be inspired to overcome this exile for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.